hello and welcome to another episode of Stage Milk Acting Conversations. My apologies that it's been um, quite a few weeks since our last episode, but I've been off um, touring the country, playing some music, and it just all got a little overwhelming to um, give the podcast the uh, time it needs for the incredible production values that enter your ears every time you uh, listen to this podcast. So anyway, here we are, we're back in town, and we have a very exciting episode for y'all today. Um, I'm sitting down with Gabrielle Rogers and Andrew Jack, who, with their powers combined, are probably some of the, uh, really the leading voice masters, for want of a better description, um, because they both, um, they're so diverse in what they do. Um, working as dialect coaches, dialogue coaches, working with actors, working on theatre productions, working on film sets and TV sets. Um, they are both uh, truly incredible um, teachers and coaches. Um, and it was pretty darn exciting sitting down with them both. And um, yeah, I really hope you get something out of it. I definitely did. I was buzzing with excitement talking to these two. Um, they just know so much about uh, using your voice as an actor and um, yeah it's a great chat so I hope you enjoy this is my conversation with Gabrielle Rogers and Andrew Jack so I'm sitting here with Gabrielle Rogers hello uh, hello. hello and Andrew Jack hello and we're yeah we're going to dive straight in and we're going to have a little chat with you first, Gabrielle. Mm. Um, I was interviewing Donna Woodburn mm. um, on the podcast and who's a voice teacher um, at Whopper, mm. which is one of the top drama schools in Australia. Mm. And we had a great chat about untidying the voice. Untidying. He, yeah, he had um, some very interesting ideas, but the whole notion of trying to get rid of um, I think we hold voice up to be um, people have an idea of what it is when you act perhaps to hold up a certain voice right. and a lot of what he does um, is trying to get rid of that and trying to come back to what sounds like a more natural more open voice which I found really interesting um, so to start there is that something you would agree with in voice yeah, work? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are there are two modes of behaviour that most people aspiring to be professional actors and, and some professional actors fall into. One is not caring and, and not bothering. And mm. so you sort of get this de-voiced, under-pitchy, breathy kind of I'm trying to be really interesting voice. Mm. Or absolutely, you can get the elocuted voice beautiful, which is just as bad. So mm. <laughs> absolutely, they're, they're, it has to... I mean, you, actors are replicating human behaviour. You have to mm. sound real. We have to believe you and we have to care. And I think that, um, well, I know that the only way we can care is if it's coming from every cell in your body. Mm. Do you know? So if, if you're holding the voice up and thinking about your articulation, then, then it's not coming from your loins. Do you know? Mm. I don't want Hedda Gabler from the shoulders up. I want mm. all of her. I want your soul up there. So, yeah, absolutely. Untidying. <laughs> I love Donald's work. Every Everyone that graduates through Donald comes out sounding absolutely wonderful and I would absolutely agree with that as well as what I face most in Sydney which is incredibly good-looking vegan gym head <laughs> amazing people who are so held uh, that, that when they try and sound authentic 
they don't have that access, the breath mm. connection to their thoughts and their feelings. So when you say when you say hell, do you mean to be like a physical death? Yeah, yeah, physically, yeah, and and sometimes you know psychologically and emotionally yeah. as well. I mean, it's we know that the mental health issues in in the industry are, are huge. You know, there's all that rejection and and um, and uh, low income and all that. Um, working three jobs until you wait for your next one, all that. But yeah, no, I mean more physically. There's a lot of emphasis on acting being a physical or aesthetic. Uh, two-dimensional filmic pursuit, you know, and even even some people who are pursuing a career on the stage seem to think that if you if you look the part, mm. then then you're there. And of course, we know that's not true because actors get sent words to speak. That's kind of the job. So <laughs> it's always amazed me that people who are entering the profession don't take voice as their primary entry point. I know that for me, when mm. I was an actor back in the day. Um, the first thing I did, it was ironic, I actually started acting professionally before I had any training. I didn't know what I was doing and I was really bad. Um, but then when I chose to pursue it consciously, the first thing I did was get a voice coach. I worked with the late, great Deborah Paul, mm. who was extraordinary, uh, a wonderful woman. And it just cracked everything open, mm. you know, the whole acting experience for me. Different modes of training, Meisner, Stanislavski, Chubbuck, all it's great, whatever works, right? But for me, um, having spent now my life since the age of 14 and nine months um, working or on the sidelines of theatre and film and television, it's all about language and ideas and, and that need to communicate them from the whole of your being, from your mm. soul, do you know? Yeah. Um. How does it, and this was something I spoke about with him as well, how do, how do you marry this idea which of sort of letting go and not holding on to stuff mm. with um, with all that training? Mm. Like, for, you know, because mm. I think when you go, for, for me as a recent grad and a lot of people who've done maybe three-year acting programs or mm-hmm. any acting training, is you can get so caught up in the idea of... Um, you get very and you get very con well of, of getting very conscious of your voice. You're yeah. every day doing a warm up, yeah. and so you th- when you're you're on stage, you're sort of almost learning to think about your voice. Yeah. Um. So, what what is your thoughts on sort of marrying those technical elements with letting go, yeah. or is it about just doing the work and then forgetting it? I, I think it's such an excellent question, and I can only answer it now. You know, at the grand old age of um, because it it. And I'm sorry, guys, but it, it does get better with time. It does take a lot of time. And at first, it is incredibly technical. And you are very mindful. of Because this is an athletic pursuit. I mean, I think that Dean Carey is right when he says that acting is an athletic pursuit. The emotions just follow. You know, it's like the emotions and, and the feelings are like sweat to the runner. You just run and the sweat will come. So this whole thing of looking for emotion first, it, for me, again, is redundant. Because if you just play by the rules and use the right muscles, those emotions will flow. They can't not... So how do we get there and, and, and how do we not make it self-conscious is a really interesting question and something that unfortunately only comes, or fortunately, comes with time uh, and practice because once you have for yourself a regular practice in place and you, your awareness is heightened and you're using the muscles to, to act in a way that appears completely believable and free and connected and honest and at the same time you can remember your lines and all your blocking and, and you know your objective and your actions once you start doing that repeatedly there comes a moment where it it, it becomes natural mm. and I, I think the sort of delicious irony about that is that 
you know, and it, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but there's always a bit of a truth in a cliche that, that when you were little, you did that, you know, before the, <laughs> the age of about two and a half. That's what you did, you know, you just were connected and you were free and if you wanted something, you, you expressed it. We, we get locked, we get trapped, we get all confused along the way and that's, that's part of being um, the human animal. But when you restore those muscles back into place through Alexander technique, through voice work, through movement awareness, they do start to become the new normal. But it took me, I'd say, about 20 years for that to feel normal. Mm. If it's any consolation, though, you don't have to wait for 20 years to get work. I remember watching Kate Blanchett on stage from a very early age in her career. And I'll be honest, and I'm sorry if she's listening, but I remember... Uh, listening and watching her work and thinking, oh my God, it's so technical. It's mm. so technical. And it frustrated, you know, the bejeebus out of me because I thought, I, I understand that there's this great career unfolding here in front of us. We all sort of felt that. But I couldn't understand why because I didn't feel I was getting her soul. I felt all this technique. Mm. Then, of course, as the years passed, now I'd watch her use an ATM. In fact, I have. I've, there's The AVO is still out. But... Um, it's mellowed and it's developed and that, you know, that, that word again, that craft has become an art. Mm. So at first it can feel very technical, but I would encourage any actor that I work with to let it be technical. Just let it be technical. Don't head trip over it. The emotions will come. Spontaneity will come. Mm. If you play by the rules, step ball kick change. And, and then over time you will surprise yourself and realize that that is now the new normal. Mm. I think it's a great point because I think people get so caught up in thinking like, if I just... Um, really believe what I'm saying or if I'm just really in the moment mm. you know that you know if I'm real it will mm. come across but I think you mm. especially in theatre there are technical things that you can't ignore yeah and, vocally. yeah and it's anatomical you know this is mm. your instrument you can't see it from the outside so it's a very kinesthetic thing you have to experience it and feel it to, to get the confidence up that it's working yeah. and I think there will always be an element of doubt do you know like is this completely technical? Am I being real? Mm. But at the same time, you're not the Prince of Denmark. Do you know? Like, <laughs> there is an element of craft of, well, you know, just because, and, and, and the, the, the scary consequence of, of wanting to be real and, and mean it and feel it is that you end up in the wonderful world of me, you know, mm. to quote Andrew Henry's teacher from um, uh, Steppenwolf, I think it was. You end up in the wonderful world of me and I'm feeling all these things and there's nothing more boring to an audience. If it's about us, you know. Yeah. It's always about the audience and, and making them feel and making them think, and and that sometimes has absolutely nothing to do with you. But if you play by the rules, and I guess I have to confess here, being classically trained, um, although do you know I dip my toe into link later work and all that stuff, um, it it just it just does flow, and it's a better result. And yeah, don't worry about it. Just do it. Mm. <laughs> Would be my recommendation. Um. I think we've kind of covered it a little bit because, you know, speaking about this idea of being held and and I guess which is synonymous with a sort of more closed off voice perhaps, mm -hmm. um, but working with as many students as you have and watching mm -hmm. plays um, and television productions and film productions, is what are the most common problems that you see with, with young actors or actors at any stage? Sure, sure. Um, uh, just, just not using their full voice. I mean, right. it sounds simple, but it's true. So you get the people who are holding, do you know? I mean, half of my clients are young women who are holding their voices because it's pretty and it's nice and it's got them onto television and they've been doing very well, thank you very much, but now it's time to, you know, stop yeah. playing the girlfriend or, 
you know, the love triangle and they want to start, you know, discussing wrestling with some big ideas. And for the guys, it's uh, the same, actually, thinking out loud, it's exactly the same. They, they're often under-pitching to try and get that deep sound that they're looking for. Um, we, you know, admirable pursuit, but it, it sounds fake and it sounds forced. Yeah. So, yeah, just a lot of um, a lot of holding, a lot of fear. I mean, I know that for myself, and this is where we get into, you know, the, the real fun, kooky stuff, the Patsy Rodenberg stuff and all that, but um, I know that for myself, we all have lots of reasons why we're terrified of our power, you know, mm. and our ability to communicate. And as someone who has acted and as someone who has been through a lot of shit and disaster in my life and a lot of bliss and joy, I, I, I empathise. It's terrifying. Mm. You know, it's absolutely terrifying. To reach your full potential is perhaps the most terrifying thing an artist can do because then you're completely exposed and you're completely vulnerable. But guess what, kids? That's where the statues are. So on that, because that's a really exciting idea, do you think um, finding that potential is, again, through pursuing really nailing the sort of technical stuff perhaps away from being on stage so that you're more confident and or is it about actually changing as a person and just be opening up more and you know then making so that it's easier to get on stage and be yeah I think that's well I think that's a really healthy question because it is work Mm. um so for my students I recommend that they absolutely you know 10 till 6 or 9 till 5 or whatever their hours are Treat it like work and absolutely transform, change, challenge yourself. That's why it's scary. You have to really push the boat out a little bit. But then performance psychology is, is an interest of mine and, and it's so important that you that you turn it off, mm. do you know? And I've worked with a number of actors who are so gung-ho and, yep, Gabby, I'm just going to stay in this accent for the next three weeks until opening and it's going to be brilliant. And inevitably it's shit, you know, because <laughs> it's unsustainable. It's like if you're an athlete, if you're an athlete and you said, I'm going to run a marathon... Uh, in 20 days time would you just start running and not stop and then in 20 days time set the clock do you know it's it's unsustainable so given that we're dealing with something that is psychological emotional but most importantly anatomical Mm. uh, I say to everybody the same thing just use your clock your your alarm clock or your clock is your best friend you know for the next two hours I'm going to stay in the accent then I'm going to have a morning tea break and call my Mm. mum then I'm going to have another three hours where I stay in the accent this is the dialect stuff but it's the same for any kind of voice work absolutely transform the more you do it in your actual life in your real life then absolutely the easier it is to do it when you're in a nasty casting agent's room with Mm. bright lighting in your face and 16 other people outside who all look like you Mm. because the adrenaline cursing through your system in that moment is going to challenge your ability to trust that new musculature so Mm. the more you do it off stage um and off screen absolutely the easier it will be on yeah yeah and it's, it's comforting too. I mean, this is not like some kind of scary out on the edge thing. The muscles that you're using to support your voice and to free your voice are actually very comforting because you have that scaffolding there, mm. do you know? And once you have that scaffolding, you can play. Mm. And that's when it becomes fun because, I mean, this is why we're all into it, right? That's why they call them plays. It's bloody fun, mm. you know? It's really exciting. And so rather than being some kind of terrifying act of leaping off the edge and not having anything left... I see it as quite the opposite. I found it very comforting. Coming from a very dysfunctional upbringing, um, I, I found it, although challenging at the time, a great relief to know that I had that strength within myself to mm. communicate freely, to play, and know that it was just a show. Mm. Do you know? Fortunately, I'm not holding a scalpel. Touching wooden things, we're all going to go home at the end of the night. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not that scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
on that, because it's, again, such an exciting idea to, to find this, for actors listening at, um, maybe if we look at the sort of three stages, if, if you're starting out at a career, you're looking at maybe getting into a drama school or something, mm. um, maybe starting there, is there, for someone who's new to acting, mm. do you think, would your recommendation be go see a, a voice coach every week? Or would it be about just do, you know, do a warm-up every day, whatever yeah. that is, whatever you can do. Well, well look, I suck at sales, so I'm not going to say, <laughs> yes, you should absolutely see your voice coach regularly. I would recommend two sessions per week for the first three months. Um, do you know, it's so individual. Having said that, I know for myself, uh, as an actor, someone who went through three drama schools, um, but then also teaching people who are applying for the schools, yeah, you, you actually do have to do something. Mm. Do you know, you do have to do something because... Your connection to text and and you know your your ability to to really turn up and be authentic and get it all wrong and just be present is crucial to mm. your ability to get through to callback. Having said that, um, the way that you do that, I think, needs to be very sensitive. You can't just go and be told, right, stand over there now, put the hat on now, sit down in the chair now, turn around and take a bow. It needs to come from within you. So I would encourage people to do things like classes, like go to Sydney Dance Company and do a movement class, mm. go to an improv class, go to a voice class, work with a coach, sure, but just be careful that you're not being directed out of your own creativity, do you know? You, mm. Because they'll, they'll crack that, you know. And the drama schools, they're, they're, there's a frustration in there for me, having you know taught at them. Um, on the one hand, if you walk in and you have this amazing resonance and voice and you're very articulate, it's, it's very easy for us on the other side of the desk to think, oh, wow, well, this is great. You know, we've got a real talent here. But that sort of negates the need for three years of training. Do you know, if you've got someone who's incredibly creative, that might be someone who's worth investing three years of voice work in because once we get those muscles working, we might free up an extraordinary talent, do you know? So you don't... I don't personally, professionally think that you should be brilliant to get into drama school, mm. but you have to have some essence of self, that need to communicate. Mm. And then hopefully, and this is where I get a bit, you know, worried, hopefully the people on the other side of the desk will, will rise to the occasion and, and see that. Mm. Um, this might be a good time to get you involved, Andrew. Um, yeah. Listening to us chat about... Um, sort of the philosophy of voice a little bit. Um, you obviously have worked with a number of students and professional mm -hmm. actors on film sets and, and theatre as well. Um, do you find this is probably the major issue, people holding on to something? What do, you, what do you find is the main thing you're trying to help actors with? I think that's true. I think it's when, when Gabriel said that, it made me think of the situation that I'm in and that actors are in when they come to a film set. And that that's... Uh, the, my main concern is that um, they are. Uh, we can enable them to feel comfortable, and so they don't get into the situation where they're told. I mean, it's it's all about what you've got on your website about mm. um, what you do with nerves and how do you cope with all that sort of thing. And I, and I'm I'm beginning to realise, having listened to to what Gabrielle was saying, that my world is so completely different um, because it's all film now. I mean, yeah. my my life in in terms of where I am in my career has, has developed from being a child actor to being an actor to being a coach to being 
other things mm. and then coming to it now and so this is strangely divorced it's almost like um, mm. that that Gabrielle's talking about almost a, an academic like it's like being at an academy mm. um, and so that's how you look at the, the the human voice the actor's voice whereas I'm there on a and, I, and I'm beginning to think now so what's the process? And I said, think to myself, well, I've got um, three weeks to coach an actor in a dialect for a movie. Mm. I said, that's completely untrue because it's probably an hour on Monday and I won't see them again until Friday. Mm. And so I'm fitting in with whatever is going on elsewhere with hair and makeup and costume and so on. And the actor is really getting very little of my time. Um, and that's the benefit of my being there all the time. Mm. But when an actor comes onto a and, I, and strangely, because you talk of Kate Blanchett, and, and, and of course I'm thinking of those people too, but actually the people I'm thinking of are the jobbing actors who come on for a day or a couple of days um, and are in that situation where they're doing their utmost to, in, in a funny sort of sense, impersonate an actor's voice mm. and to be able to cope with that in front of a camera. So. It, it's a very, very bitty situation that I'm in. And so that my, my work, it has to be instantaneous. So mm. I've got to be able to identify whether it be a dialect problem or a vocal problem mm. and try to sort that in half a minute. Do you um, find they usually go hand in hand? Dialect, like issues with accent and vocal issues? Very much. It's, yeah. it, I mean, it's an organic process. Mm. Um, and it saddens me that there are people who, who profess to coach dialect and know nothing about the human voice and, mm. and the human condition and, and say, well, I'm, I only do dialect. Yeah, yeah. And I don't understand how you can do that. Yeah. And yet, in a funny sort of way, if you looked at my work, then you'd say, well, it's all about dialect. It's not about yeah, anything yeah. else. Um, but it does involve everything. The whole thing is physical, it's organic. Mm. And I think that's very important. And I think looking at um, the way we've been able to uh, uh, encourage actors to feel, for example, which way a voice will go in terms of is it flat or is it um, expressive in, in vocal movement, um, we're able to say, well, just look at the environment that these people grow up in. It's got nothing actually to do with reality, but it's a really nice little thing for an actor to say, well, it's Welsh because the mountains go up and down, so their voices yeah. are going to go up and down. But yeah. I mean, these are all little tricks and yeah, so on yeah. that we use, but certainly it's completely organic. No, it's absolutely, it's the voice and the, it's all about the expression. It's the most intimate form of communication yeah, with yeah. voice. So, Do you find you're giving, um, more little notes like tweaking what an actor is doing or you're actually going all right you don't have the resonance you need for this particular accent let's go away and do that can happen yeah that can happen but then again it, you know does one have enough time to do it mm. um and so to a de to a degree you have to rely on the actor him or herself to be able to bring to it whatever's required and then yes you tweak it but in the tweaking business, in terms in terms of what I do, um, certainly is more about dialect than mm. anything else. So you have to you have to hope that there is a there is a a basis that there's some kind of foundation mm. for what you're going to tweak. Yeah. And the top. if I can just jump in that shorthand, then when you have 
when you have that shorthand with an actor on set or on stage or in rehearsal, it's so fun. It's so much fun to watch because I mean, I've, I've seen Andrew, you know, imitate what he does on set and you'll be sort of looking at an actor, you know, eyeballing them. The actor will turn to him like, was that all right? And look at him, he'll sort of, you know, do these two fingers there and a twist. It's almost like watching a baseball mm. coach, you know, tip the nose and kind of thing. And it, it's the same uh, with, with, with me when I'm working with, on dialogue. You know, you sort of do that arch with your hand yeah. into the hard palate. It's hilarious. I mean, anyone watching it would think you've all gone completely mad. But again, it's that thing of once you've got everything in place, once you have that foundation, it's such fun because you can just look at, um, you know, some genius running around on stage and go, and they'll go, oh, right, and they'll change yeah. it automatically, miraculous. And it'll have a great deal to do with the actor and how they how they like to, to be communicated with yeah, yeah. or do they know phonetics? I mean, I would say to everybody, learn, it doesn't take long. You only need to learn the basics of the, the, basics of, of the phonetic alphabet. Uh, and I communicate with actors who, I mean, if I've got three actors on, on set and they're all talking in the same scene or in the same shot, um, I'm going to have three different ways of approaching them, mm. both in terms of how I approach them physically. Do I go in and close, get close up to them, or can I actually call out and say "ah" or "ah" or whatever it is, um, to the embarrassment of the actor? <laughs> or, but but you can also d describe in the air mm -hmm. with your finger the phonetic symbols, the the length dots, whatever it is. But it's but it is it, you never miss a trick with it. I mean, I would suggest to any actor that you don't go down to the pub and have a pint, you just spend a bit of time looking at the phonetic number. I taught at Lambda for quite some time in London, yeah. and uh, a lot of them have come up to me since then and said, God, if only I had taken some notice of those phonetic classes. Yeah. Because it's all algebra to most of us, mm. and it was to me too. Yeah, I was I'm terrified when, I, when, when it came phonetics time in my training. I thought, oh my God, I was really really quite anxious about it, because it's just foreign, it's just learning another language, yeah. but once you do, yeah, it makes things is, so much easier. Is there a resource either of you would recommend for learning it, if an actor is There's interested a, in doing it? There are things on the internet yeah. that you can yeah. down, you can, there are sheets that you can look at and so on. Yeah. Um, uh, um, the, the, I mean, what I was going to say is that you don't, if, you, if you're like us, well, not even like us, if you're, if you're someone who studies dialect and so on, then perhaps you do need to know all the diacritics and the specific mm. symbols that, that indicate uh, certain things. Yeah. Um, you don't need to know that as an actor, you can, and you can make it up. Nobody's going to take you through an examination mm. and say, oh, you can't do that, that's not right, or you should have put a double dot there, or whatever it is. Mm. Um, that Nobody's going to criticise you. Uh, you use the basis, basic stuff and then modify it to mm. your own needs. Mm. Pigeon phonetics. Absolutely, pigeon phonetics. Mm. But, but so, um, each, each actor, given the situation that I'm in, where I've, I have, maybe I could talk about a little bit about this in a minute, but, but certainly I, I've only got half, half a minute, or sometimes less, to, to go into an actor after a take to tweak the thing and I'm going to have to approach each actor in a different way. If they're all in shot, then I've got to make sure that that take is going to be good enough. Now, some of them I might actually not have to go in and talk to them at all because I would. I know how they work. I know they would have. They go. I know. I know. Yeah. And I will know that I can let them do it the next time, and it'll be fine. Mm. But there are other actors who not even noticed. Yeah. Self-correction is brilliant. Mm. I mean, there's so many times. Um, 
people have come up to me and said, what exactly do you do? Because you sit on the chair and listen, <laughs> but what do you do? Yeah. And because occasionally I'll walk in and talk to an actor like I'm a friend of the actor yeah. or something. So people are confused, you know, rigors and um, grips of, what does he do? Who is this mad man? Why does he keep talking? But that's actually, in a sense, sorry, I'm kind of moving on a bit. No. But in a sense, that's, for me, that's a, a confirmation that we've done the work properly. If yeah. I don't have to go in, if I don't do any work, yeah. then you know we've done it right in in the trailer mm. um, I, I've already said that the, the the time that I get in those three weeks six weeks prep whatever it is is very limited I mean mm. it's just it's an hour here an hour here we just grab the actor when they've come out of training or fight or whatever mm. it is stunt work whatever it is they're doing and then I grab grab them and do however much time I can do with them um, but then when it comes to shooting then I'll be, I go in early when the actors are called, so that I'll work with them on if they've got any downtime at all between breakfast and makeup, mm. or what have you, and I'll, they'll come to my trailer or I'll go to them, and I'll do the work and I'll prep them for the day for the stuff that we are about to shoot, um, and that's when I know. So it's, so if, if we've done that work properly, I can sit there listen to them and know that everything is fine so I don't walk in I don't have to disturb the set as it yeah. were it's disturbed enough by other people who go in and touch up and tweak and so on physically oh, yeah. um, do you find I remember at drama school feeling like the line between voice training or voice notes in a production for instance and acting notes can often blur because as we're sort of discussing it's all so interconnected mm. do you find in those situations it ever gets to a point that you are it is coming out almost as act like. Do, do you agree with that? That it is kind of linked. That that sometimes the reason the accent is working is because they're not maybe landing the line on the other actor or absolutely. do notes like that come up or you do strictly keep it. No, absolutely. That's something, and I and I will have a conversation with a director before we start mm. um, because sometimes I can because the director is a very busy individual mm. and they don't have a lot of time for for, di for doing things that are tricky. And so given the fact that they know who I am, what I've done, where I'm coming from, um, that I might be able to facilitate mm. something with an actor, with a word about something or another. Mm. It doesn't necessarily have to be couched uh, in you know, other uh, um, terminology. I mean, I could actually just say, you know, what the director said to me, can you get them to do so and so, and I'll just go in and mm -hmm. help out. And it, sometimes it, it comes, you know, if it's like a pincer movement, mm -hmm. if it comes from the director and the dialect coach, sometimes that can really help. Yeah, I, I, and I think a lot of it has to do with the breath, do you know, that when there's a lot going on uh, for the actor, sometimes they're just not breathing into the right places that they need to for that particular delivery or the shape of their mouth has become... Um, convoluted in some way that's distracting to the dialect and the relationship with the coach and the director is therefore an incredibly trusting one and the directors that I've worked with over the years I can you know I, the ones that really trust you and, and and have that conversation with you from the beginning and, and let you do your stuff but at the same time let you know that they're, they're watching and listening too, do you know, because I have to ultimately defer to the director every single time, do you know, it's, it's their way or the highway at the end of the day, that's, that's the job. And I've directed a little bit myself and I understand 
how incredibly stressful that role is just to be saying yes, no, no, yes, yes, no, yes, no, and making decisions on the fly all day. So that relationship between the director and the coach, as you say, like the pincer movement in on an actor mm. has to be so sensitive to, to that particular performer and, and, and what they can handle and how they, how they are best facilitated. You know, it's a, it's a very... Um, it's a little bit parental, I suppose, at times. Very, yeah, you know, very you, much. You really I mean, care about that person and you want to get them there in a way that 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 is theirs. Yeah. You know? mm. And you have to be incredibly sensitive to the to the other people who are I mean, in my in my sense it's it's the the crew, the rest of the crew. Right? So you've got to be sensitive to that, you've got to be sensitive to the director, you've got to be sensitive to the actor, mm. and so that you have to choose your moment incredibly carefully. Mm. Um and, and the number of times you you step out onto a, onto a film set and do a viewy and go straight back out again because you know that this is not the time to go in. And generally, from a, from a dialect point of view, it's it's quite useful to be the last person, mm. so that because mm. it, it's audible, you know, uh, mm. if it's if it's a continuity move and the, you put the cup down in the wrong place or whatever it is, mm. they can generally handle that somehow or another. But, but what you're after is the best take. Mm. So the, the and and it's the voice, it's the instrument that's always going to be for us prime. And I spend most of my time with the with the sound mixer. I'm, I get my set chair. I'm famous enough now to have a set chair. So I get my chair, and I the props guy says, "Where do you want your chair, sir?" I'm looking forward to my chair. <laughs> and it's, it's gonna be always a big one. <laughs> and I always ask for it to be next to the sound mixer. And so that I'm there, he and I have conversations about what's useful, what isn't, what's a guide track, what's a wild track, what all, right. what things we need. Um, uh, he might sometimes say to me, I didn't understand that. And it's great to have another pair of ears, mm. and a, a highly critical pair of ears, who can turn to you and say, I didn't you know, as an audience member, I wouldn't know what that was all about. And so, and there's another aspect of what our work is about, which is, you know, the dialogue mm. so well, mm. you hear it, um, but not from the from the point of view of the of the audience. That's so true. And sometimes you do have to break the rules on on dialect or um, normal human behaviour in order to make it audible. Because up in row G or uh, yeah, with under your lapel mic. If if the meaning is lost, then then we've we've lost it. You know, yeah. we've lost the point of the yeah. whole exercise. So, uh, just working again with the boys in uh, Howie the Rookie, this wonderful play that you know an outrageous dialect from Tala, uh, about an hour west of Dublin in Southern Ireland, and we we had a, a native Tala speaker come in and and you know I spent a lot of time tracking the poor bugger down, and uh, we couldn't do it. We couldn't speak like he speaks because nobody would understand the play. So we had to we had to tweak it, and it is that again that delicate conversation. Mm -hmm. There you've got an actor who's working really hard, working really well to perfect this dialect, and they they're looking at you. But you said, but you said, but you said, and I was like, yeah. And now I'm saying this, unfortunately, yeah. because we just can't understand what you're saying. It's too good, you know. The great, like, the great thing for us in the in the movie industry is post production because we are able mm. to to change it, to revoice it, to do all sorts of things with it. And a good dialogue editor will be able to pull a, 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 even a vowel sound or a consonant mm -hmm. out of another take and put it in 
mm. where the dialect coach says it should go, mm. massage it a bit technically, and you'd never know. Yeah. Please so don't we, tell the actors that. We get this, well, there, there is an element, and I think we're all aware of what, what I'm going on to say, but there's an element of that that all actors are aware of, that that kind of thing can go on. Mm. But what I would say, and this is something that I started to do myself, because as an actor, I spent years and years and years as a member of a loop group, revoicing bit parts in major movies, yeah. spending three, four days with a group of actors, eight or ten actors, revoicing all the bit parts. You're not going to be able to get that actor back again eight months later, because they're somewhere else, they've forgotten what they did, mm. so you get another actor to do it. It's sad that it's not that actor's voice. Mm. But in the end, uh, here's a piece of... of um, I would say that is a very imp important information is to now we have the, the, the technical wherewithal with computers and all that kind of stuff is do it yourself, practice it. I used to, in London, I used to rent um, a, um, a studio and an engineer at Goldcrest or Delaney Lee, these post production studios, and get student actors in and get them to practice lip sync. It's something we have to do, whether we like it or not. Um, the, the dialogue editor sometimes can't massage it and change it and so mm. on. So you've got to go in and do your own ADR, additional uh, a dialogue re replacement it is actually, ADR. Um, uh, you've got to be able to do your own stuff. And you can practice it now, given you know, our laptops and the, and the equipment Absolutely. that we have. And you can... You can dub your own voice onto. You have a great deal of fun and and redub um, Brad Pitt or somebody, you know, and get your voice coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And it's an. Inc but um, Mark Strong, an actor that you probably know in Britain, uh, I had a conversation with him not very long ago about all this and that I was doing this work. And he said, if only somebody had done that for us when we were. Mm. beginning as student actors to, to learn how to do that yeah. because you're faced with a, a frightening prospect of going into a sound studio in, in wherever it is, a big city they do them at Fox presumably yeah. in Sydney Absolutely. and you go in there and there's the director that you had great, great reverence for and he's there and there's some other people and there's another there's a sound mixer and there's a producer and there might be a dialect coach and they get you to go up and stand in front of a microphone, they show you a clip of the film that you did six months ago, and they say, give us the performance, but I want more irony. <laughs> you know? So it's great, to pr it's really good to practice, and we do have yeah. the ability to do it now. So do it, guys, it's really important. Do you think when you're doing it, uh, it's about, because I know a lot of actors who really like to physically mm. get around the microphone and feel mm. like they're reliving it, do you think that's a part of it? Very much. Yeah, I do, I do. I was recently involved in a, with a movie um, called Love Rosie with uh, Lily Collins and uh, Sam Claflin, who was in the movie. And we, we did our ADR work in Los Angeles and in, in Atlanta. And the director insisted that they did it together. So the, the scene was on a beach, sitting on a, on a blanket, having a picnic with seabirds and the ocean coming in and everything else. And he said, that's the situation I want you to be in. Under, under normal circumstances, you'd stand at a lectern with a microphone and watch the loop and do it yourself. But in this situation, we had Lily and Sam sitting on the studio floor oh, wow. uh, with a boom 
mic instead of a, a stand mic, which meant they were both, and they were able to overlap, which gives it realism, whereas in normal circumstances you can't overlap because you've got, then got to revoice whoever else is there, yeah. if you see what I mean, in yeah. the scene. We're getting very technical now. <laughs> but but uh, it, was, it was wonderful to do, and mm. great energy, and it felt terrific. And so that's very important. Viggo Mortensen, when I did Lord of the Rings, used to bring his broadsword with him, mm-hmm. and he'd yeah. swing it around. Yeah, he's <laughs> doing, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, when he's doing that, you know, yeah. that great, almost Henry V. There's still yeah, a terrified yeah. engineer under a desk somewhere. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask before was just um, for both of you, really, but um, with you, Andrew, having previously worked a lot in theatre um, and at a big drama school in England and then working mainly in film, do you see any difference vocally um, in working on the screen? I know a lot of people feel like, oh, it's so close, I can whisper, I can mm-hmm. go off voice. It's, it's the um, same. Yeah, you, you see it just absolutely as being it's the same. It's just a different it's a different way of using the voice, but the the bane of uh, a sound mixer and a voice person's life is in movies is whispering. It doesn't mm. convey anything mm. except that you're being quiet. Mm. Do you find that's a big problem that a lot of very much are doing? very yeah. much and, and and on movies recent movies that I've been working on maybe I'm working on now. I've encouraged actors not to whisper mm. because it doesn't it doesn't imply anything to yeah. anybody. But as soon as you touch the sound, you can hear what the person is experiencing. Mm. And if you're centered, if your voice is centered and your breath is centered, then that emotion is going to be carried through the touching the sound. As mm. soon as you, you depart from that, then there's nothing there. Mm. That it doesn't mean emotion. So great to hear that because I think so many people do absolutely yeah. think that is, yeah. is the... I'm afraid it's a Hollywood thing. It's yeah. very much... Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe just a few final thoughts. Um, do you guys have or recommend things to do as a kind of daily or weekly practice in terms of is there things you would suggest actors to be doing if they're out of work or even if they are working on a... On yeah, a absolutely. Um so with students that I work with, I give them a, a daily practice yeah. and it can vary from 10 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on where they're at. Mm. Um, but to do it every day, twice a day, six days a week. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's anatomical. You're not going to win the race if you don't train. Yeah. Make yeah. sure you get out of breath once a day. Mm. Read Cicely Berry's book, Voice and the Actor. Yeah. yeah. Improv. Play. Or Impro, Impro, Keith Johnston, that's a long time ago, but it's yeah. a wonderful book. Yeah. And uh, Mel Church's book, yeah. uh, Acting for Film. Brilliant. Truth, 24, 24 frames times a second. Per second 24 yeah. times a minute. Um, yes. <laughs> I can't remember it. Yeah, right. But it's, it's the, awesome. the rate of, of celluloid through a camera. Right. So, but it, uh, wonderful books, wonderful yeah. books. Always, that, that I always recommend those. I'm yeah. sure there are plenty of others, folks. Yeah. But um, Truth 24 times a second. That Truth 24 times a second. Brilliant. Well, that was going to be my, my final question was some book recommendations. So well, that's, that's we, we're a bit biased. Okay, so if I can sort of out us a bit, there's a, there's a, a bit of an exciting thing happening um, over in Europe at the moment that we're intrinsically involved with. Um, it was. It came out of Andrew's mind, and it is now. <laughs> it is now 
Um, You're not going to talk about that, are you? No, <laughs> no, no, about that. And it is now a growing concern. There's this place uh, in Germany called Erden, E-R-D-E-N, a little town on the Mosel River, and there's, there's been a cult happening. So Nigel Rydout and Andrew and myself and, and a, a gaggle of other extraordinary, well, we like to think of ourselves as extraordinary voice people, are getting together to sort of, um, yeah, provide a retreat for people who are interested in voice and for people who are, maybe they have a regular practice but they've plateaued or they just want to kick up the butt. And Nigel has a book. And so Nigel Rideout, if you don't know, was the guy that started Whopper. Um, is the way that he was introduced to me. And at the moment I met this man, I knew I was in the presence of someone I would love till the end of time. He mm. is an extraordinary uh, teacher and a, a great voice teacher. And he has this book. Now, we're currently talking with Nigel's publisher in England about getting the rights for it as an ebook. Mm. Um, so if and when that happens, um, Stage Milk will be the first ones to know about it because yeah, it is the most comprehensive. I've had a little flick through it and it's fantastic. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. really good. So yeah, absolutely find a practice and and do it. And in terms of classes and things, um, absolutely if there are drop-in classes on offer, do them. Um, don't treat any particular voice style as a guru-esque thing. I think mm. that's a mm. real danger. Yeah. I've, I've, I've yeah. cleaned up the mess of so many people who have been told that it's this way and that's it um, and that if they don't if it doesn't work for them then there's something wrong with them or their voice yeah. if it doesn't work for you move on do you know yeah, find the thing that does other stuff. so, you, so yeah. you're taking taking advice and exercises and ideas from various mm. books and that yeah. becomes your way of doing it mm. if you I don't like the way that one, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I mean I if somebody doesn't get what I'm doing move on find mm. that's great no problem yeah. Yeah. I think especially if you've gone to a drama school I think you'd uh, if you've come out of maybe straight out of high school or some other formal education, you feel you have to take everything on. And yes. Really, you know. Dutiful. Dutiful. I think, yeah, yeah there, there um, has to be an amount of irreverence because we are talking about play. Hmm. And as much as we, we, we are passionate and committed and, and have devoted our, you know, professional lives to it, there has to be an element of play and irreverence. And, and that is actually healthy, do you know. And hmm. um, I know that for myself, you know, doing doing Linklater work for an hour lying on the floor with Deb Paul and... and, and you know, they let the throat go, let the throat go. And I was thinking, where the fuck do I put it? Like, <laughs> what, what, what are they talking about? And it wasn't until I, I trained uh, with Bill Pepper that, he, you know, he, he put the emphasis on support muscles and articulation muscles. And then the throat just did go. Now, would it have, would, would that throat tension have gone if I hadn't have had those eight years beforehand of, of trying to let the mm. fucker go? I don't know. <laughs> but it did. So, yeah, pick and choose. It's a sushi train, this, yeah. this acting gig, you know. Pick and choose what you like and eat your greens and do the things that aren't easy too, yeah. but don't think that by making life hard and committing to like some kind of acolyte to a particular way of doing things that it's going to work, because it might not. Yeah. And you've wasted great, your time. You've invested in, in, in someone else's beach house, do you know? So <laughs> be careful. Andrew, what do you see as the difference between a dialect coach and a dialogue coach? Well, actually, it's a bit of... It's, it's developed from... I mean, the whole, whole business of dialogue coaches came in um, when silent movies went to talkies, when actors who were very well known um, uh, on the screen had never been heard before. And Some of them, they have very strange voices. So they got a, a voice dialect, dialogue coach, dialogue coach to come in and they helped them with their dialogue. From my point of view now, I feel that I'm a dialect coach. That's what I 
I specifically work on. Dialogues is something that I do, uh, for example, with foreign actors in accent reduction, that sort of thing, where you're talking about actually delivering lines uh, and enabling them to do it in a way that's uh, understandable um, without doing the, the horror of, that comes to all of us, which is line readings. The, the, the way to do it is to try to, to enable an actor to choose which is the one they, they would prefer to use. Um, um, or children. I tend to, um, I think of myself as a dialogue coach, but that's not my title. I mean, that's just a, a subtitle. But I think it's very, very important, now that you're on the subject, I think it's very, very important that um, as they are beginning to realise now, the producers understand the value of having someone like us on set all the time. In the old days, when I think back, 10-15 years ago producers or, or production managers would get you on for oh just come on for a couple of days you know and do that or or maybe just um, as you were saying maybe come on and do the first three weeks and then then leave and mm. let the actors and you, you can imagine how I mean I've had incredibly well-known actors um, who I'm, I'm not going to mention because I'd be accused of name dropping um, <laughs> come up to me and say they say you're leaving and you say, well, yes, I'm, you know, they only booked me for five weeks. Oh, but, but I've got that big scene coming up. You know, what's going to happen with that? So it's, it's do the maximum amount of, of prep that you can do, mm. which may only be a few days, mm. and then be there for the whole shoot. Because if you're there for the whole shoot, you save them so much money for mm. a start. Absolutely. I mean, to a lesser degree, I'm... Um, speaking to you guys before we started about working on a play and the director saying oh well it was a four week rehearsal I think and we'll be bringing a dialect coach in, yeah. in week three or week four mm -hmm. just to do some some touch ups yeah um, and and again it's leaving actors mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. to do the bulk of the work and you are the only room. person there on the set for the actor no one else is there they're yeah. all there for hair makeup costume direction Probably. camera yeah. whatever it is mm -hmm. But there is one person who's there for the actor, and that is God's. I mean, from the point of view of an actor, to know that there is someone there for you, you know, and mm. that you can oh, use absolutely. them as a support, and you are. And if you do, if you if you are taken out of that, then you they they lose their support. I couldn't agree more. And I've started actually saying no to productions if they've already started rehearsal. So I, I get calls every other week. Um, can you come and help us with a dialect on this particular production? And uh, you know, you have a little chat and find what's the show, who's in it, you know, who's directing. And, and then they'll drop the bomb and say, well, we've been in rehearsal for a couple of weeks now. Mm -hmm. And it's at that point that I just say, oh, look, I'm really sorry, because it's, it's just not good enough. It's not good enough. And my name is attached to that, and I pride myself on my work too. And if, if I'm coming in trying to scramble together and fix something that... And you're trying is, to break habits at that point. Well, yeah, because it's very, and it's very unsettling for the actor. And yeah. I don't want to be this person who comes in like some kind of school mum and says, well, actually, that's not right. Do you know, I can think of nothing worse. I, I completely agree with Andrew that understanding the performance psychology of what it is to be that person up there in front of the camera or on, on stage... I know that they, they deserve much better than that and they're going to do a much better job if they're given that support from the beginning. And I can, I, I'm yeah. getting a bit sort of kooky now, I can actually tell you which of the performers that I'm working with will be nominated for a Sydney Theatre Award, which one won't, which one will be nominated for a Logie, which one won't, based on 
their ability to do what they're good at and that has so much to do with the investment when you talk about return on investment having someone on set that knows linguistics semantics grammar anatomy vocal health um how to hold a knife and fork how to hold the license plates on on foreign motor cars these are the sorts of things that we're on. It's, it's really, <laughs> it's really ridiculous. But the, the, I'm noticing that, that as I get to know, it's very rare for us to know other dialect coaches. We, we're working, I mean, the, I did work on a movie where there were five of us, but that was an extreme thing. Mm. Um, but I'm noticing now that the dialect coaches that I know who are brought in to work with, a, with an actor, with a star, with whatever, are now more prepared to do, here I've got my halo on now, prepared to do what I do, which is every day player who comes onto my set, yeah. onto my shoot, I will go and say, hi, I'm Andrew, I'm the dialect coach, yeah. I, you know, I can't do mortgages, but, you know, can I, if I can help, just let me know. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk to those people through the day, and I won't see them again, but that's my job I'm there as a dialect and it's an ensemble of piece of work as far as I'm concerned yeah. I'm not just there for Downey I'm there for everybody yeah, yeah. You know, whatever it happens yeah. to be and, and it that, is a unifying thing isn't it Sorry to it is no, but absolutely. it helps everybody breathe and relax and, and do all yeah. that anatomical stuff you're not consciously saying go over and breathe but just by making them like a bit player or a daily player feel comfortable sure you're effectively creating a much better production and I think that that is something that absolutely and I, I I can only speak for, for Australia, but I know that I, I'm constantly trying to educate television production companies and the like, please don't just get us in for two hours. You're going to get so much more out of us yeah. if you just let us float about, do you know, mm. uh, when we're not going to get in anyone's way. We're, we're absolutely all about story and, and getting the thing across the line. It's an incredibly team-driven role. Um, it's just that there might only be one of us and we might sort of float around and seem a bit odd sometimes but we can be really very useful if, if, if we're given the chance yeah. and I said this before you save them money mm. the, and this is a priority for producers and, mm. and people um, and you are saving them money because daily reports go into the editor saying which of the takes that are good and a dialogue editor can move them around as mm. we said before you're saving the money in post-production. Mm. Um, you're probably getting a better performance too because the director may like one thing and not the other, whatever it is. And all that's going on. So it is an, an incredibly useful for the thing as a whole. Do you find that, um, that accents, you're able to have a, a dramatic impact on, on takes in that you're, you're um, the accent like if everyone else is going, this is a great take, and you're like, the accent isn't there. Yeah. Are you able able in a lot of instances to go, well, guys, what are, are yes. we prioritising accent? Yeah. There you are. I mean, if you know the director well enough, um, yeah. you can you can go over and say so, or you you tell the script supervisor that mm. that was a bad take, and it may have been absolutely the number one for the director, mm. and that's when the, the the editor and the dialogue editor come are, are brought to bear on it, mm. and can save the set uh, save the take by, yeah. by using the sound or the word or the consonant or whatever it is from another take mm. and that's the great value of having someone there who can go up and say mm. I mean in in certain cases you could have you can actually the, a director may be so in tune with you that they'll just look at you and, and go well what do you reckon mm. and you'll do a hand wave and, <laughs> and they'll go I think we'll do another one <laughs> I mean that was 
so here we go again. But this was that was the situation with Robert Downey Jr. and, Cha and Chaplin, mm -hmm. and and Richard Attenborough. He would often look at me, darlings. I think we'll go again. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing, and that's when you really feel that the whole thing's coming together yeah, and yeah. working. Yeah. Do you find in general observing lots of film sets that that is when it works? Is when everyone is working together on oh, the project? Very much so. Film? Very much so. I mean, I've just done now it's released I can talk about it a bit but but I've just done Star Wars 7 mm. Force Awakens J.J. Abrams is incredible it's an ensemble everybody's working together and mm. you're you the, he relies on you for your talent mm. rather than you know with sweeping gestures getting rid of people mm. no great fabulous and it's and everybody works very very well you know the, um, people who yell at each other or call out and shout and all that sort of thing mm. just finally is there if people want to um, find out more about this project coming up or anything you guys mm. have got going on do you have websites social media There's sites website, you want to promote there is a website for Evan but it's yeah. not out yet and cool. it's, it's in the process and I'd just like to add a postscript to that that it is um, basically voice um, but there are other aspects that we are including um, I've got a lot of people, top, top people from the movie industry on board um, who are camera operators, uh, continuity, props, uh, nutrition, nutrition, mm -hmm. whatever it is that's associated with how you make major mo uh, motion pictures. And there are some of us who, who do other things from what we thought we were going to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was going to be an actor. I still am an actor, but... Uh, I do something else and I think there are a lot of people who, who go um, continuity fascinates me mm. you know and mm. so and they could get into that and that we're hoping is going to be part of what we do at Ed and yeah very exciting well um, yeah thanks so much guys that was brilliant Great to thank chat with you both. Andrew and it's really um, really wonderful to talk to somebody who's willing to share their toys with others because I know that Sometimes being an actor can be a very lonely and isolating experience. And I think that what you're doing with Stage Milk is providing a platform for people to feel connected to something which ultimately should be great fun mm. and should be healthy. Um, uh, so congratulations and yeah, thanks yeah, for having thank us. You. Thanks, guys.